Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. Welcome to Talking Design. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne with an architect who I've known for some time, Ian Perkins, Director of Perkins Architects. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me along. Ian, you're an interesting architect because you've, in a sense, you probably have been categorised in a sense because you do a lot of childcare centres now. You're really known for your child centres. Um, but you actually have broader skills than that. You do housing, multi-res. You've done a number of projects and you're still capable of doing it. But I think probably what happens in your profession is people say, oh, look, Ian Perkins and Associate, or Ian Perkins Architects have done over 100 childcare centres. They must be pretty good at what they're doing. Does that annoy you that you've become a specialist in this area or you just see it as uh, part of... I, I think it's flattering that we get invited to do and uh, get involved with a whole lot of commissions on an area that I have a lot of passion and interest in. So for me, it's not, not anything other than good. Ian, if you look back, uh, one of your first childcare centres was Sam's Childcare Centre. Samantha's. Samantha's. Yep. And that was quite different when it first appeared in Malvern. Yeah, 1986. 1986, because probably up to that point, childcare centres were fairly basic. The idea of combining childcare centres with architecture wasn't really that important. How did that start your... Uh, direction in in architecture and what was so significant about uh, Samantha's? Um, well, Samantha's is a fairly important project for my end um, because I'm actually married to Samantha, so there's a personal relationship there. Um, but back in 1986, the childcare industry was uh, one that was very much fragmented, and there was very few um, purpose-built larger private childcare centres. The industry was pretty much covered by a lot of council projects and some smaller house orientated um, family daycare setups. So to go and build a purpose-built private centre was um, very much at the forefront of what the industry has become. What were they like at the time, Anne? Um, interestingly, back then there was a model for childcare that Arthur Anderson, the um, accounting firm, had recommended to the government. And it was saying that the optimum size for childcare was 35 places. Um, why or how that came about, I don't know. Um, how big was Samantha's? Samantha's was 67 places at the time, which was large by its day. By today's mm. standards, it's actually quite small. The industry standard for a childcare normally now is between 90 and 120. Mm -hmm. And some of the larger ones we're doing are up to 180-odd places. So what was the type of facility you expected to deliver in the mid-80s? Um, well, from our end, it, it was about trying to make a place that was friendly and uh, it, it had s elements of scale that were child-like in, in, in certain qualities. So we had some intimate little nooks. We had windows with uh, viewing panels that were down at a child's height. Um, we used reasonably bright colours through it. Um, I remember sandy yellow. <laughs> sandy yellow and blue? Yeah, it was blue, so there were some reds. Um, and then there's some neutral colours as well within all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and a great selection of toys by the today's standard. I mean, Samantha was setting a fairly high standard of childcare back mm -hmm. in its day. But I know, having um, just taken Sam through a number of the centres that we've recently completed, uh, and she's been out of the industry since 1996, um, that the level and the expectations has become higher and higher and higher. By parents? By parents, by staff. Um, and the 
expectation in terms of what a facility provides has seen a um, push and rejection of uh, the artificial to incorporate a lot more natural materials back within the buildings, which is a fantastic thing. So, so give me an example. Um, the a, a whole lot of toys and equipment that were used in in centres and um, playgrounds relied on artificial things. So there was lots of plastic equipment and plastic toys. So furnishings and fittings and elements within centres now have a lot more wood uh, used within them. So that natural touchstone that you get from timber is mm. and we incorporate that in walls and window pods and viewing panels and uh, and Ian how does that benefit kids indirectly do you think I think um, making a, a, a space that is naturalistic in its qualities um, and has them uh, appreciate the things that are, are solid and sound and um, earth-based is something that's really good and that happens also in their play so the child care centres that we design also have a, a great interrelationship with the outdoor playground areas mm-hmm. um, and they also have incorporated a number of these ideas and thoughts as we've gone forward. And when you're introducing these elements into the childcare centres like natural you know, timbers and um, stone, and- stone, is it something you think subconsciously also goes through uh, early childhood development when they start to get older they actually go back to those memories of something being quite rich and tactile and special or you think it's just forgotten by the time they're teenagers um i i can't speak for everyone but i know i certainly have very fond memories of my kindergarten um and i have uh, strong memories of what the the room was like uh what the playground was like um was it architect designed I think it was architect design. It was certainly a building built in the 1950s. Uh, it was uh, in Northbourne. Uh, it was a cream brick building with uh, white exposed rafters, lots of large windows, um, and it had some very large playground trees, mm. which were a feature of the of the space. Um, so yeah, I think so. That's obviously influenced it's the way inf- you see things. It it certainly has. And in the same vein, I have uh, strong memories of uh, houses that I appreciated as a child growing up. And I think there's certainly hallmarks of those things that I admired that I like to bring into our work. I think you can actually see some of that post-war influence in your buildings. I mean, a lot of your buildings have raked ceilings, whether it's a house or a a childcare centre, large picture windows, you know, good connection to the outdoors... Yeah, uh, well, there's, there's, I'm not, I'm not ashamed yeah. of any of that. I think yeah. that's you, you're dead right on, in that school. The other thing, uh, Ian, it's a lot more complicated now designing childcare centres, and just the number of factors that you would have to build in to make something not just appealing to kids, but incredibly safe for them to be able to navigate. I mean, the list must kind of drive you nuts at times. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, we, we grapple with the whole range of different um, regulatory authorities when we're dealing with those buildings. Um, the Department of Early Education and Childhood Development uh, have a fairly stringent set of criteria and it gets interpreted varyingly. Um, so having a history of that is, is helpful in knowing how to chart the waters. Um, and invariably with a lot of the work that we're doing with councils, which is um, a reasonably large proportion of our work over the last couple of years, where we've been doing some um, reasonably large community hubs, uh, they come with a series of experts within their own 
um, councils and, and feeding off their information, understanding their wants and desires and their experiences and then trying to incorporate that into the buildings with these regulations is, is hard. Is a fun challenge. Ian, when you say community hubs, do you want to expand on that? Because a lot of people mightn't even know what a community hub is. Is it a childcare centre? Is it a community facility? Is it a childcare centre? Yeah, is, is it, it a library? Hubs become a bit of a catchword to describe all sorts of bits and pieces, but the childcare-orientated community hubs have looked at creating um, spaces that are one-stop shops or allow a transition of different elements. So quite often they'll have, as a starting point, a maternal and child health Mm -hmm. um, nurse and and, uh, consulting rooms associated with maternal and child health. Um, they'll often have spaces that allow for playgroups to come and congregate and use. And then from that very early years, you know, the first six months, 12 months, uh, it introduces them then into childcare. Uh, invariably, a lot of those centres then have noughts to fours programs, so all of the early years of childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they go into a kindergarten program as the precursor before going on to uh, a primary school stage. So in a sense, because they're starting in the very beginning of their lives there's this natural progression through a building and they feel comfortable with it rather than tantrums when they first arrive and it's foreign yep there's that gradual introduction to something else there is and i think the other thing that uh, the councils have picked up on as being uh, important with the with the hub concept is that there is a range of different community aspects that can also then be co-located and integrated within those spaces that makes them very interesting spaces to be in. So they will often have meeting rooms and uh, uh, socialising gathering spaces. Uh, We've done them with libraries associated with them, um, uh, heritage uh, societies associated with them, a range of different Mm -hmm. facilities. So the way I'm reading it, Ian, is that community hubs or childcare is now growing to the point that it's becoming multidimensional and there's all these different type of facilities all kind of feeding in the one feeding off the one nook or, you know, branch. That that's, tends to be the case. And I think that the councils, where they uh, initially were a little bit concerned and reticent about the process because um, there was always the initial as- expectation that a childcare centre should be of a scale and a size that was very much akin to a home. Mm-hmm. And so some of the sizes of these buildings now are getting up to 2,000-odd square metres, which is 10 Huge. homes, 15 homes. Um how can you, within those spaces, still create um, personal and uh, nurturing So how do environments? you? What are the things that you do that break down the scale? Well, each, each of the uh, childcare rooms is a much more intimate scale in its own right. And within that, we go and often create um, a, a range of different activities within that space that can go and scale to children's needs, whether it be a reading nook or a home corner or a... Uh, a spot for mat time or a spot for art, art creativity. Um, then one of the other things that's really important about um, the child early childhood years is socialising skills that children learn. Mm. Um, and you take it for granted that uh, you've got socialising skills, but where did you learn them and where did they first begin and how do they get nurtured? And that's one of the important foundations that all children have. For people who, you know, you obviously go into childcare centres that aren't well designed they might have been from the past or they might have been um, poorly executed if you walk into a childcare centre what are the things that disturb you if you go in and you 
apart from obvious things like scalar benches and whether there's rounded edges, what are the things that disturb you? And you would be upset if you had young children and you saw these things. Yeah, I, I think um, spaces that don't have a, a nice uh, sense of connectedness to the outdoors and, and poor light um, as a starting point, uh, if they don't have spaces that allow for a range of different programs to occur within their own rooms, um, that means that they, over time, if their children are in there for a reasonably long period of time, they're not going to be creating the, the, yeah. enough stimulus and enough interest. Um, so they're important elements. Uh, and then how, the, how the, the building actually functions to allow the staff to be able to do their job properly is an important consideration. I, I remember speaking to you um, some time back and you, and you kind of almost navigate paths for kids so that they don't feel lost. So they actually feel like they're coming into a home, even if it is a 2,000-square-metre building. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I, I think that's one of the um, initial starting points with any of these projects that we've been doing, is how you can go and create a building which, for all people that are going into it, that it's inviting and it's not overwhelming. Um, and there are ways to be able to navigate without having to read, necessarily. I, I don't like buildings where I get lost in them very quickly. So, in a sense, it sounds a bit bizarre, but is it a little bit similar to old, you know, age facilities, age care facilities, where you're kind of creating these paths, but not making it uncomfortable because you're old, you have to navigate a certain path? Yeah, well, we, we certainly like to create um, opportunities, uh, even as you're travelling around and within the building, to see to the outside and have touchstones of where you are and orient things that will help you orientate it, whether that be done by internal courtyards or window views on corridors or... Um, one building that we've just recently completed out... Uh, is it here? Yep, the Newbury, Newbury Community Centre. And where is Newbury? That's in Craigieburn. Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, has, running right down the spine of it, a highlight window that washes uh, light down a southern internal street. Mm -hmm. And the wall of that building's been done out of recycled bricks, which is a very earthy material. It has a, a, a warmth about it. Um, and it's an element that as you continue through that space, you can always get a sense of where you are and what it's doing. And then from that central spine is radiating a whole range of different functions. I mean, there is that sense of the home with that brick wall. And there is also, I uh, hope you don't mind me saying, slightly 70s earthy feel to it. Um, yeah, well, one of the... Chunky beams. Yeah, the... Um, the buildings that we've been doing with a series of these communities has is, is quite often looked at how we can go and use a very domestic palette of materials, but using them in, in slightly unusual ways or with slight twists within them. Um, and uh, we found um, another project I've got here today is the Broadhead Meadows Community Hub. Uh, and it was on a site that had previously been a um, police station that was built back in the 1960s. And the community had uh, appropriated that 1960s building into a community centre and there was a degree of uh, liking for the original building, although it certainly had lots and lots of problems in terms of how it functioned. Um, when we were demolishing and rebuilding, one of the things that we did was salvaged all the bricks from the original building and incorporated those both into how the paving was used, how the um, the footpaths and the entrance foyer um, brickwork, 
And that became a very successful thing for the community that knew the building before, knew the building after it had been um, mm -hmm. reinterpreted, to have a touchstone of their history. And so it wasn't just a brand new box. No, and there's some personality that was created with all of that that they uh, they really appreciated. Ian, you still design houses, you still design apartments. I think uh, if you look at some of the houses you've built um, over the over the time, how do you find housing and childcare centres connecting? I mean, do you kind of wear you know, do you find it difficult switching roles or you just? How are, they, how are they connected? Um, I think as a designer, they're, they're very much the same sorts of problems and issues that you're grappling with. Uh, you're, you, you've got a series of criteria that somebody comes to you with, which you're trying to process. Um, you've got some pragmatic decisions that you need to make about the site and how to go and utilise it, mm -hmm. whether that be where are the views and where you want your outlooks to be or uh, how you address the street and where your entries are going to be. And quite often you'll also have a palette of materials that you think are appropriate for that site for whatever reason, so that you're getting some in initial in general impressions about how the building's going to form and, and shape and fit on that site. Um, and then you're crafting within your design process um, spots that hopefully create some interest and some joy about the whole reason for being there, whether it be a lounge room within a house or a playroom within a childcare. Because when I look at these um, childcare centres, there's not the obvious childlike qualities that people tend to expect when you're designing for children. It's like designing a children's bedroom. You know, you have to put in bright curtains and happy colours and, you know, that makes a child happy. But these childcare centres are very sophisticated. There's very few. I mean, the colours that you used, um, the palette, you know, you'd, you'd see in a house as well, lovely tone of greens, browns, ochres. So there's not this obvious, you know, trying to trying to be childlike when really even children don't like it well <laughs> or they might <laughs> they, like they it they might um well, certainly we're not we're we're aiming for something that will have a a, a life um uh, that isn't uh, just pigeonholing it and 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 just a, a simple reflex reaction to it we're after something which is a bit more nuanced than that um and i think the the buildings have qualities about them that are very enticing to be in as a child, simply be how they've been formed and shaped and the openings and dimensioning. Um, but yes, you're right, we're not, we're not overtly going out there and painting them yeah. to look like a candy box. It's interesting, um, in knowing your architecture, and I know it reasonably well, that it's considered and fairly restrained. And we're at a time in architecture, I believe, that it's going two ways. There's either the very restrained or the very in-your-face seems to be a tale of Melbourne, cities like Melbourne, where you're either on one side or the other. How do you look at architecture generally? Uh, well, I know what I like, and I tend to try and reflect what I value in buildings uh, within my own work. Um, I'm not uh, afraid to use colours, and there are, there are some projects where I could show you that have got a fair amount of colour in it if somebody has come to us and have a desire and expectation to do that. Um, but... I try to look at how we use uh, those elements so that they've got a, a timelessness about them and they're not going to date horribly. And they can adapt. And they can adapt, yeah. 
If I asked you how do you think childcare centres or even how do you think things are going to change in the future looking at architecture, where do you think we're headed? Whether you look at housing or whether you look at childcare centres, I mean, I know they're two very different things, but what are the, some of the things you think getting stronger as we move forward? Um, uh, within childcare, I think one of the things that's been fundamental in terms of changes that are occurring and, and will continue to occur is the um, strengthening of uh, the educational aspects and seeing it as not just babysitting, uh, that it is offering far more than that and it has a role that's uh, really important as creating foundations for a good society. Um, with that recognition comes the ability for people to spend more money in it and to create environments that can reflect a value system that um, helps support those principles. So uh, that can reflect in the quality of spaces mm. but also in the number of items and aspects that can be introduced into the program. Mm. Uh, going back numbers of years ago, we wouldn't have had children's art sinks and uh, adult art sinks within a playroom. Invariably, we're doing that all the time these days, as well as art sinks out in the outdoor areas and creating outdoor programs for art. Um, that comes with that increased uh, sense of importance about... The outdoors. Yeah, the outdoors and what... And then you have to start thinking about sun protection and then you've got awnings and canvases and yeah. another another set of constraints because... And I think the other part that we uh, also need to be very mindful of, which is I think a very positive step that's happened and uh, society's starting to pick up on it, is the need for our buildings to be much more environmentally um, sensible in terms of how they approach siting, how they use passive solar design, how they uh, use materials and the, the the influence of those materials from a longevity point of view. Um, they're all very positive things that the regulatory industry and the building code is, is starting to do, mm -hmm. and councils and uh, even private individuals are seeking those out and requesting uh, things that we've always valued and uh, ideally wanted to put in from the outset. So, And it's interesting because uh, architecture's become very technological, incredibly technological, everything's done CAD, computers, and you were telling me that you love just drawing something, which is quite lovely to hear, that someone is actually, in 2015, still prepared to put it, a pen in their hand and sketch out. It, it's I either that quite. or it's that I'm so lazy that I've not actually ever got onto a CAD and uh, I'm a, a, an old-fashioned... What do you think, a, what do you think a, draw, a pen has that CAD doesn't have? Um, look, I, I've seen some people who work with CAD in a beautiful way. It just I've been trained using a pen and pen, pencil and paper. It's natural for me. That's how I think, and my ideas get translated very quickly that way. So uh, you tend to block, sketch out sketch blocks. Sketch out thoughts and ideas and uh, random elements. Uh, I certainly uh, do all of my planning and my uh, sketching and designing that way and then get others to fine-tune it. Fine it and turn it into elements that can be built from. Ian, what do you think is the most challenging thing that continually stumps you? Even though you've done over 100 childcare centres and houses and apartments, what's the thing that you regularly get stumped at and you think, oh God, I thought it'd get easier? <laughs> Um, is it people just changing their minds? I think one of the, the huge challenges we face is just the politics that gets 
embroiled and caught up in a whole lot of those projects. Because there's so many groups coming together. There's a range of different stakeholders. There's competing interests. Um, there's budgetary constraints. Um, there may be people that don't want it on this particular site. They want it on another site. Um, there's all the town planning regulations that we need to juggle and, and, and work through. Um, they're the ones that I find both rewarding and challenging. Um, when you have people at loggerheads about what or, or how the program and the expectations of projects should work, sometimes we're caught as meat, meat in the sandwich. So that's that's one of the biggest challenges. I think the other thing that you probably find, particularly um, given how pe- uh, residents are so sensitive to anything non uh, domestic is that everyone wants childcare centres. You know, but, there's a shortage of childcare centres, particularly in inner city areas. Yet, no one wants them next door to their own homes. That they consider that a commercial use rather than as something like a school that is something that should benefit the neighbourhood. That must come up all the time. Where a site, well, we don't want it here. Yeah, certainly, uh, a lot of the projects that we do for the private industry face that issue because the land that they're looking at developing and buying is invariably embedded in traditional residential zones. And you're dead right. Everyone wants it, but not they don't want it next to them. And yeah. virtually all of those projects end up at VCAT. So we become very adept at adept at uh, understanding all the town planning regulations and the issues of dealing with that whole process. And what gives you the most pleasure about creating these centres? Is it the is it the initial commission? Is it seeing the process? Is it seeing the kids at the end of the day? Uh, all three. I think all three aspects certainly are fun, but there is nothing better than going and seeing a project that you're proud of, uh, that you believe that the builders have done a really good job with, uh, and then when they're occupied and seeing them in action and getting feedback from the client group to say, look, this is working really well, we're very pleased with it. You know, that's that's the sort of thing that uh, makes it all very worthwhile. Ian, has there been times where a centre's had to be rejigged to suit a different clientele or a different, you know, something mightn't have worked and you've had to say, well, look, it was really aimed at this age group and you're using it for a different age group, we have to rethink things and... Or is it uh, no, too difficult uh, once things are in place? Um, I think it would be very unusual for a community building not to, if you go back two or three years later, not have a whole range of different activities and uh, functions being fitted into something it wasn't originally designed for. So you redesign it? Often redesign Uh, it? Well, quite often you'll find that the end users are redesigning bits as they go and and reappropriating spaces and uh, areas that might be an office or meeting space for somebody has been taken over by a completely different organisation. But, you know, buildings need to change society adapts the buildings need to adapt and you get often called in at that stage when things have been readapted reused people are starting to use things in quite strange ways and then they go look it's not working and you go in and rework things um it's i've got to say it's been rare that we've been actually asked back to do many changes to buildings that we've been involved in. Uh, there's been a couple of times in my, my time, but they tend to be, most people tend to uh, take the building as it is and then do minor readaptions rather than major reworks. Um, so it hasn't been a huge part and parcel. The good thing about what you're doing, Ian, is that 
when you walk into a centre, you've just finished it, the painters have just been, and kids start putting, you know, tack on the walls and, you know, odds and sods. Really, it's it becomes their home and their place, for instance. But when you see architects walk into a house that they've just designed and the owners bring in their bad furniture or their bad artwork, and many architects, not all, I don't think you'd be in this case, you go, oh, God, we should have just photographed it without anything in it. With these, there's a sense of the more eclectic it is, the more pleasurable it is for the occupants. Uh, yeah, look, I've I got to say that I've um, seen a whole range of different um, education models worked within those buildings, and uh, quite a lot of them have very... Um, uh, f- they use lots and lots of different elements that do create a range of different environments, um, from things strewn off the ceilings and uh, walls were covered with all sorts of bits and pieces but that's the building uh, coming to life and uh, I, I don't see that as a bad thing mm. from an aesthetic point of view I might not uh, find the spaces quite as appealing but knowing that they're being used and loved and uh, that's that's what they're all about The other thing that I'm probably in the back of your mind from literally day one after doing so many childcare centres is that materials have to be so robust Literally, I suppose it's like designing a hotel room and having people thrash a room or, you know, bang a suitcase against a wall. I mean, from day one, kids walk into these centres and the idea is for them to explore. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so the the choice of materials and how we use them is uh, one that we're very mindful of to make sure that they are both robust and practical and um, and allow them to be able to do things without it becoming too precious. Um, because it's it's no different to you. If you think of a house with young children in it, which is so pristine that everyone's... Uh, Too anxious. Yeah, that's that's not a great environment to be no. in. Ian, look, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and it's been fascinating seeing your career grow. And, and But I, I am particularly interested in childcare centres. I think it's something that people think oh it doesn't matter but it does if anything matters more than anything because this is where they form their their early years so um thanks so much ian thank you for having me you've been you've been with stephen crafty talking design at rmit university in melbourne thanks so much for listening